money is one of the most intimate subject matters that, that people have to deal with. People are holding their cards very close to their, their heart, and when they reveal them, they're essentially allowing themselves to be pretty vulnerable. Thanks for tuning in to episode 42. I'm Hannah Moore, a certified financial planner and owner of Guiding Wealth Management. This week, Ken Donaldson joins us to share his perspective as a licensed counselor on what financial planners should know and take into consideration when working with clients. I'm always fascinated listening to other professions because there's so much to learn. To be exceptional, I believe we need to pull from the best outside of profession and incorporate into our daily practices. But before we get to the episode, I want to congratulate all of those who passed the CFP exam last week. It's such a huge accomplishment and our profession needs you. If this is you, send me an email at hannah at guidingwealth.com because we have a small gift to help you celebrate this milestone in your career. Let's jump right into this episode. Well, today I have with us Ken Donaldson. Um, he is a licensed mental health counselor. He's had his own practice since 1993. And one of the things that I find so interesting about Ken is that he actually works a lot with financial advisors. And so I really wanted to bring in that perspective of a mental health counselor to financial planning and what we, what we do as practitioners. So thanks for joining us today, Ken. You're so welcome, Hannah. I'm glad to be here. So can you share with the audience a little bit how you've been involved with financial advisors and how that's kind of intersected with what you do professionally? Absolutely. It wasn't something that I uh, sought out to do in the beginning, but my my journey has led me down the path to working with a lot of entrepreneurs, people who have started their own businesses, a lot, a lot of whom have been solopreneurs. And uh, as is the case, many times you, you work with one person in a particular niche and they'll share it with somebody else and, and so forth. And so I not that that's my specialty, but I've worked with uh, a number of financial planners, and and I find that there uh, there's some common denominators. Number one is that the, uh, the the part about dealing with people's money, which is an extremely intimate, if you will, subject matter, and the del- you know it's it's a, it's a delicate thing to to talk about and uh, requires a lot of trust. And along with that, uh, from what I gather, that when people start to talk about money things, there's a lot of other elements and dynamics that are revealed personally with their family, their businesses, and so forth. And a lot of times, financial advisors aren't always equipped with uh, like what to do with these things. All of a sudden, there's $1,000 a month that's budgeted for the, the son's uh, cocaine habit, for example. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but... And, you know, suddenly the CFP goes, gosh, they didn't teach me anything about this in my training. So I I find it um, refreshing. People that are in your field come to someone like myself looking for some guidance and assistance with that. And at the same time, uh, I've had the opportunity of working with a, a number of financial planners, just helping them maintain balance in their life, being a business owner, uh, that's dealing with some you know, very stressful dynamics and maintaining their own health and well-being, maintaining their own uh, financial balance, and whether they're, uh, they have a family or they're uh, involved in a community, just really helping them with their life balance. 
So speaking to, I think, I think that's such an interesting topic that we don't talk about enough is how hard it is to one, be a financial planner and to be an entrepreneur. If that's kind of the route that you, that you picked as you've worked with financial planners, what would be to somebody listening, who's most likely either starting their business or in the first probably five years of that entrepreneur struggle, um, from your perspective, what would be your, what would be your advice to them? Well, one of the things that <clears throat> I think is uh, a financial advisor training 101, I, and I think you can correct me if I'm off on this, is that there's always the encouragement that the client, your client in this case, Hannah, that they pay themselves first, that, you know, that there's got to be a, a priority in, in where uh, people's cash flow is going. And I, I, I look at it um, and, and, I'm going to segue just for a moment. Uh, you and I know that I wrote a book that's entitled Marry Yourself First. And the, the idea of marry yourself first, and regardless of the title of the book, but is that in order for us to be successful at whatever it is, um, whether it's a business, a relationship, our own health and well-being, a successful life, we've got to give to ourselves first. And so creating a set of of guidelines uh priorities if you will okay what is it i absolutely positively have to do to keep myself in some semblance of balance and balance is something that's dynamic it's always moving we never we never get it you know completely we're just always adjusting we're trying to eliminate imbalance so what what do i need to do um you know, physically, what do I need to do emotionally? What do I need to do in my relationship, uh, in my with my community, my home? My, and so that, that it, it's so easy for an entrepreneur early on, especially to get so consumed with their business that their their life gets completely out of balance. They're not paying attention to what they're eating or their exercise. They're uh, families are left getting the short end of the stick. They're, you know, investing all of their money or a lot of their money back into their business. They're not taking vacations. And what what you have is that there's a an unequal, um, an imbalanced foundation. If you looked at this as sort of like building a house, it's like the foundation is already crooked. And you start building on it. And what's going to happen if you build a house on a crooked foundation? Well, when the wind blows, it's going to fall over. So I, I find that people that have a really good uh, sense of what those foundational cornerstones are, and they they make those priorities so they don't get thrown out of balance and put everything, all their, all their energy into their work, they have a higher likelihood of not only being successful, but being happy and, and healthy. How do you take, you know, that very balanced approach to sometimes things do need to take more energy or like this idea of sacrifice? How does that play into that, into that equation? And that's, you know, when I say balance, it's not, it's life is dynamic. It's always moving. And, and so one of the things that I think is really important that is that we are always, we always have a buffer zone. You know, if we're, if we schedule ourselves so tight and everything is a priority in our schedule. Well, you and I both know, Hannah, that, that something inevitably is going to change. Uh, I had a full day yesterday, for example, packed, 
in the middle of the day, I got a phone call and one of my clients said, I think I got the flu. And I said, I think you shouldn't come in. And so I had, you know, I had a significant amount of time put aside for that person. And I, I didn't really have, you know, a backup. And I thought, you know, well, here's, here's my, I got a gift from the universe. I got, uh, here's my uh, buffer that I didn't make for myself. So I laid down for half an hour. And I rested and I, you know, sort of, it's like, I really needed to do that versus if I would have just immediately looked at my to-do list and plugged something else in and, you know, just been doing, 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 probably wouldn't have felt as, as balanced by the end of the day. So I think, you know, having a plan and working the plan, but recognizing that things are going to change. And so having some flexibility, but I, I think that having some kind of a system that you can review yourself or, or maybe sort of check in with yourself and whether that's something you do on a weekly basis or a monthly basis. So you're sort of taking inventory of yourself, evaluating, okay, how am I doing overall in all these major areas of my life? And overall, am I, am I you know, have some degree of balance or am I leaning in one direction more than the other? And if I am, Maybe I just need to be a little bit more conscious about a certain part of my life, or maybe I need to just reprioritize that a little bit. But there's always going to be some sacrifices. There's always going to be things that, that change. Uh, you, know, they, you know, the more things change, the more things change. That's sort of life 101. There's terms being thrown around now about financial therapy and, and things of that nature. Um, but I really want to talk about, you know, since you are a licensed health care you know, counselor, what is the difference between therapy versus what financial planners do? And more importantly, like what are the boundaries um, of each, but specifically like financial planners? Like what do we want to make sure that when we're dealing with clients, like we're not crossing those lines? Right. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I'm, for example, I'm not trained. I've not gone through any uh, CFP training or, or any kind of financial advising training. And so if I have a client come in and they start to talk about money issues, my focus is really to look at how are your money issues impacting your health and well-being, the health and well-being of your family, the health and well-being of, of you know, all those things around in your life. But if, if suddenly the client says, well, you know, somebody told me I should make a budget, you know, what do you think? And I, that, that, at that point, I've got to go, well, you know, I, I think budgets are a great idea, but really that's not my area of expertise. Uh, I have an accountant personally that I work with, and my accountant helps me with my budget. I also have some friends who are happen to be financial advisors, and sometimes I'll go to them and I'll run th some things by them. Um, but you know that so that I'm not put in that kind of role where I'm not trained. So the flip side is if if a financial planner has somebody comes in and these these issues keep recurring and they're, and they're getting in the way of you doing your job, then I think you've got to step back a little bit and just call it as it is and let the people know, look, this is a charged issue. I'm not a trained clinician, therapist, counselor, any of that kind of stuff. I know what we're dealing with. It's got a lot of stress to it and a lot of charge, and this is really vulnerable, and maybe you've never done this before. And uh, I have clients that you know, use counselors and that can be a good support. And uh, um, so you know, maybe that may be something to think about if that seems to be the best call. And I think, too, that's where we, we and I'm going to include 
my uh, my field and your field, I think that's where, where it's good that we've got a network of other professionals that we're connected with that we feel comfortable referring people to. Um, you know, like I, I, I always have two or three or four physicians I personally know, I like, I'm comfortable with. Some of my physicians I've actually gone to see myself that if somebody comes in and they've got something going on that, that's physical, that's impeding, that's getting in the way of their, their mental health, their emotional wellness, I'm not going to hesitate to say, hey, I really think you should go see a doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to start to diagnose or say, hey, you should go, you know, get this, you know, blood drawn or anything. I'm going to leave that to the physician. Uh, but if I keep ignoring that and I don't address it, then I'm really not operating from a, an ethical place. So I think we all have, a, have an ethical obligation to look at our clients as holistic beings. And, and we're responsible for the one area that we specialize in, but we're also responsible for recognizing other areas of life and knowing perhaps where to refer them or guide them or lead them to, to help them address things that are outside of our, uh, our, our specialty area. Well, I think it's so important because I see it in so many areas of like, even just where I've dealt with clients, I mean, from estate plans that just can't get done because somebody can't resolve their issue with, um, a son or daughter. Um, I've seen that one to literally couples fighting in front of me <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we need to rein this back in. I, I think it touches almost it, it. Like you said, money is such an emotional issue that it really touches almost every meeting. And I, and I think sometimes Hannah, it's um, like, if I, I, it's taken me a long time. I've been, I've been, I just turned 60 a, a little over a month ago and I've, been doing this work uh, for, uh, gosh, 30 years now, so half of my life, essentially. And I am still, and I've decided, I decided several years ago, I'm always going to be a beginner at this. I always have to have the beginner's mind because I can't afford to, to get into a place where I think I got it and I don't need to learn anything else. Um, but, I, I, you know, the, the part of the beginner's mind is that I've always got to be willing to to learn and be open and adjust and fine tune. And, um, I've gotten to the point now where I, 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 I'm ready. I think I'm ready for just about anything that shows up in my office. Now, I, every once in a while I still get surprised, but, um, but I, I try to have more of a proactive approach with people. And if so, if I, even have the least suspicion that something could go sideways or something could get blocked, I will step back and you know, I'll step out of the conversation. And I, I call this, you know, the, like trigonometry, there was the X, Y axes. And the, the, I think the X axes went from left to right and the Y axes went up and down. I, I wasn't really good at trig, so that's probably what I don't remember. But, um, so sometimes, most of the time, we have a conversation you know, running on the y-axis, and you know this is the subject matter we're talking about, the, the subject. Okay, we want to start over here on the left side, and we want to work over to the right side. That's the starting point and finish point, and then we're done. Well, what happens with emotions is that emotions don't run left or right; they run up and down, and so and they will stop us from getting complete with something, and we, if we continually ignore them or we don't address them, what happens is that 
everybody in the room gets frustrated because we're, we're not getting to where we want to be. So I will stop it real early on and, and completely change gears from the subject matter, going from left to right, and I will say that we need to have a conversation about going up and down. And I refer to that as the process. So we've got subject, left to right, process, up and down. You don't have to be a therapist to, to have a conversation about process. Now, I think therapists are very good at helping people process their emotions, processing their stuck points, processing their, you know, their cognitive distortions or unhealed wounds, whatever, whatever it might be. But to be able to address, you know, earlier, better than later, look at this is this is charged you know, here's where we're at. Here's where we want to be. If we can't get through this, we're not going to be able to get to where we want to be. So we either need to figure out how to work through this, or maybe we need to take a break, or maybe we need to set different goals, you know, because something it's the, the effectiveness and efficiency isn't happening here. And so, you know, I think, and I think that's challenging, particularly people I can only speak for my field, but I think entrepreneurs early on when you're in business, you know, there's a lot of pressure there to, to succeed. And, you know, you've got clients and you're making commitments and you're, you're creating plans with them and you want to fulfill those plans. And suddenly there's a roadblock. There's, you know, there's pressure there uh, twofold. Number one, you certainly want to deliver on what you, uh, what your intention is for the client, what your agreement is. But also, you don't want to lose clients, <laughs> so you know for for obvious reasons, a multitude of obvious reasons. So there's a lot of pressure there um, to be successful. So I think you know being able to recognize those early warning signs when when something's starting to go sideways, and at least have a conversation about it. Right? You know, I think the worst thing people can do is to pretend and ignore, like whatever's going on in the room. It's like pretending it's not happening or ignoring it or downplaying it because your clients are giving you a, a, a sneak preview. It's a microcosm of their world and their life. You know, what you see in there is a snapshot of what goes on at home and everywhere else. And so you have an opportunity and who knows, maybe it's the, the first opportunity, the only opportunity uh, to, to sort of intervene and redirect and provide some other information to them. And I think it's such an important point that you could not address the emotion in the room, but it's going to be a lot harder to get to any conclusion that you want to get to. Yeah. And, you know, as awkward as it is, uh, and I, and I say awkward, I, I'm, I'm making an assumption that, um, and this is based on my experience my personal experience, my experience with many, many clients over the years, colleagues, uh, people I've done workshops and presentations for, we as a people, I'm going to generalize, and this isn't everybody, but generally speaking, we as a people, we are not really comfortable with our own emotions, nor are we comfortable with the emotions of others. And so, we, I mean, if everybody's happy, we're fine with that. You know, it's like, but the, the deal is, is that, you know, there's, you take one emotion, you take them all. So, you know, you, you, you're like, okay, I'm going to only going to let them happy emotions. Well, that's not going to work because you, you let that in, you got to let them all in. But it's being okay with calling what is. And, and, you know, part of that is Hannah, that 
we as the professional, whether it's a counselor or it's a financial planner, um, we've got to be have a certain degree of okayness with our own emotions. And that starts with, do I know what I'm feeling? And is it okay for me to be feeling what I'm feeling before I try to you know, talk to somebody else about what they're feeling? And this, this really gets into the, under the umbrella of emotional intelligence. Uh, it's a, a term that's uh, been more and more widely used over the last 20 years. And we refer to it as EQ versus IQ. And what what is being discovered is that the EQ that people have is more of a uh, accurate predictor of success than people's IQ. And when I say success, I don't mean just success in terms of business success or financial success, but relational success and, and health-wise. Uh, people that have better EQ uh, have are happier, have better lives, have better businesses, better relationships. And the basics of EQ is this. I'll boil it down. There's a lot of books out there about it. I would encourage if uh, any of your listeners are interested, there's a, a plethora of books that are out there. But it, it really comes down to this. Um, Am I able to identify what my emotional state is? And by the way, emotional state does not include fine, pretty good, okay. <laughs> okay, those are not emotional states. But yes, how are you feeling? Good, pretty good, okay. No, those are not emotional states. Those are just platitudes. Uh, how am I feeling? What's my emotional state? What am I doing to be okay with my emotional state? Or what am I doing to process or cope with my own emotional state? Being able to identify other people's emotional states. And, and most of that is not in what people say. Most of that is going to be in people's tone, people's body language, especially, especially their facial gestures and their eyes. It's looking at all the cues. And, you know, it's almost like giving, uh, allowing their body and their face and their eyes to have a mouth and identifying those things, noticing those things. So identifying other people's emotional state. And then the third part is how do you bridge a gap between how you're feeling and how they're feeling? How do you, you know, connect with that person? And, and as the professional, we've got to go into their land. It's our responsibility to leave our land, which means we've got to be okay with our own emotional state. So that goes back to taking care of self first. I've got to be okay with myself emotionally. And I think this is where, um, Financial advisors, attorneys, doctors, people that are on the front line with some very stressful interpersonal situations, they come to counselors to get more okay with their own emotional state. Now, I wish, I really wish more of those professionals would come and see us to just get, you know, some, a little bit of assistance with that so they can be, they can connect better. You know, that, that's the key to really empathizing with people. You know, when you can empathize, when you can really let the person know, I really get what's going on with you. I get where you're coming from. I can imagine it would feel this way and that way. And if you were feeling this way and that way, you'd probably be reacting this way. There's no better experience in the world that people have than to be understood at that deep emotional level. And, and whether it's, you know, people in my field or your field, we have an opportunity to do that. And so, you know, just being able to have that emotional connectivity, but it starts with 
you got to be okay. You got to know what you're feeling. You got to be okay with your feelings and being able to identify other people's feelings and being okay with their feelings. People will remember what you say. They'll remember how you made them feel. Right. A lot of that, it's, that's coming to mind as you're talking. Right. Clients that refer their friends, people in their network to you, it's primarily because, I mean, it's because you're a good, uh, you're a good advisor, you're good at what you do, but it's going to be mostly because their experience with you in your office, what it was like, what was the emotional connection? That's why people refer people back. So in regards to your book, Marry Yourself First, we've kind of hinted at, um, you say that if you're ready for renewed spark of enthusiasm in your career, top quality relationships and peace of mind every day, um, that you'll want to discover the secrets of marry yourself first. So I've kind of already hinted at this, but selfishly, like what specific tips do you have to keep the spark of enthusiasm in your career? Right. That's, and I think that first of all, that's so important. And I would invite all of your listeners to, um, to look up uh, the word enthusiasm and, and look at the roots of that word. And essentially, it's it's about this godlike or spiritual infusion. You know, it's uh, I, I think the, the, the Greek terminology is, you know, the God speaking through us or God speaking uh, within us. But it, it's this, you know, how do I keep that excitement and, and the passion, if you will, uh, in my life going. And I, I oftentimes will draw an analogy of of that enthusiasm and that passion. It's sort of like a, a, a campfire. And as long as you are, are putting logs on the fire, the log, the fire keeps going. But you got to keep putting logs on the fire. And if you don't, if you, you know, get lazy, you start taking things for granted, or you don't think you need to, uh, or you lose interest, you know, the, the fire starts to go down. And when the fire starts to go down, things start to get dark and things start to get cold. And if you don't pay attention to it before you know it, all that's left is, you know, some smoldering coals. And sometimes it just goes out completely. So what is it that we need to do? And I say we collectively, I, 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 I not that I know what everybody needs to do, but, you know, what are some, some core ideas that people can do to to stoke that enthusiasm and i i think one thing is is to really you know looking at the big picture of life okay certainly it's it's helpful and i and i hope everybody that gets into the field that you're into hannah is excited about what they're doing and is enthusiastic about what they're doing that doesn't mean there won't be challenges that doesn't mean that there won't be you know, days that uh, things might be more of a bummer than the other, but to, you know, really have that passion for what you like doing. But bigger than that is, you know, what's the big picture of your life? Okay. What's, you know, what are you passionate about uh, aside from your world of work? What do you have to look forward to? Uh, you know, what, you know, I, I always like to ask people like, let's imagine it's your, your 90th birthday party and um, all of the people we're going to, so this is time travel, all the people that you've had a positive impact on are at this huge birthday party. There's lots and lots and lots of people in this room. And, and these are people that you've had a direct impact on, or maybe even a, a secondary or tertiary impact on. And, and they're going around the room and they're given a toast. What is it that they're saying about you. And, and it, this is this can be a very powerful exercise. It's also a difficult exercise because 
you know, people start to feel self-conscious, like, oh, gosh, I'm going to start like I'm feel like I'm bragging about myself or, you know, being conceited or whatever. And it's like, no, you, you really want to see, like, what is the stuff that you're going to get lit up about about you? You know, when, I think when it's all said and done, we're going to want to feel good about the work that we did here uh, during our lifetime. And I, when I say work, yeah, it's our career, but it's much more than just that. You know, what's what's the work we did in our in our with our families, in our communities, uh, with our colleagues, um, you know, work that I did, you know, as a volunteer, spiritual work. Uh, you know, what's what's the impact that I've had? on, if you will, humankind. Uh, so it's a much bigger picture than just my world of work. And because, you know, our work, it ebbs and flows. <clears throat> you know, there's a certain amount of, of uh, control, if you will, that we have over it, but most of it we don't. You know, things, things could happen later today or tomorrow, completely unpredictable things, and they could just throw everything into a loop. And if we've got all of our, our eggs, if you will, in that one basket of our jobs, our careers, our businesses, and we don't have anything else to look forward to, you know, that's probably the number one cause of depression is that people get too much invested in one area of their life and it becomes too narrowly focused and something goes askew in that area. And now, you know, they've got nothing else to look forward to, nothing else to live for. So it's, you know, really looking at, okay, how, again, going back to that balance dynamic, how can I, what do I have to look forward to? Like, so when I got up this morning, one of the things I had looked to look forward to was to, to be on this, this podcast with you today. And I was excited about that. I'm still excited about that. I, I mentioned to you uh, earlier, I, I didn't have anything else scheduled today. I'm excited about that. Uh, I, I, you know, sort of have a free day. There are some things I want to accomplish. Uh, I, I, I like getting up early. I like getting up when it's it's quiet before you know the rest of the neighbors are up and the, the noise starts. Uh, I get excited about that. I feel like I get a head start on the day. I, I like to sit and and read and reflect and meditate and journal a little bit, and you know that's exciting. And I, and I do these stretches and the, these exercises and. Uh, you know, I have a, a cup of coffee with my girlfriend. We sit on the couch for a little while, and, you know, that's exciting. So I, I'm talking about, and I'm using myself as an example. I just don't want to overly focus on me. But, the, you know, those are a lot of things that I, I look forward to it every day. And if, if I'm not able to do those things, and I know that there's sometimes things might happen, okay? I've got a nine, almost 91-year-old mother that I could get a phone call from the ALF she lives at, at four o'clock in the morning and got to have to go to the hospital, I might not be able to do any of those things. And that, you know, that's when you were talking earlier about, you know, how do you shift the priorities? But my point is, is that there's so many things that I have to look forward to. And that's one of the basics that I, I really encourage people to look at. And that the concept of marry yourself first is that, yes, there may be a primary uh, purpose, if you will, or um, legacy that you want to leave behind, but, you know, spread, you know, recognize that you're a holistic being and you have many, many parts. You know, if you look at your body, it's like, well, it wouldn't make any sense if you just exercised your right big toe. Okay. Cause you'd have a really strong right big toe, but everything else would be really weak. So what do you do to sort of 
you know, make sure you exercise your toes and your feet and your knees and your hips and your, you know, everything, all the different parts. And so there's some semblance of balance. Nothing's perfect, but some semblance of balance. You know, listening to that, and obviously I think everybody listening probably has their own struggles with it, but I think what's so challenging to me is even in those times when I'm not working, I feel stressed that I should be working mm-hmm. and just letting myself resting when I'm supposed to rest. Yeah. You know that, well, you bring up something really interesting there. Two things. Number one, uh, the almighty should. Okay. Now it's a very, you know, like where do these shoulds come from? <laughs> it's really, when you start to think about it, it's like, where do they come from? Uh, it's not something we're born with. Watch a baby. The baby operates, does not have any shoulds. You know, the baby just sort of goes spontaneously from one thing to another, doesn't care what what he or she gets done or doesn't get done. Somewhere along the line, we develop these, these shoulds. And uh, I actually, in my office, I have uh, a T-shirt that occasionally I'll pull out and, and print it on the front side of it says, I will not should on myself. And I have somebody in my office that's doing a lot of this shoulding because, you know, the, what should that that use of the word, it creates guilt and pressure. Like I haven't done enough or I'm not enough or it, it always goes into this lack, which if there if you feel like there is a lack, well, there's instantaneous stress. And so, you know, having some boundaries, if you will, some parameters, some limits. And, and in this, too, it, it, I think it requires the development of some trust and some faith. And I don't mean like religious kind of faith, but some faith in yourself and faith in your business that, hey, you know, you're doing what, what, what you're called to do, what you're good at doing, and you're doing the best you can. We can always do more. You know, we can always work more. But you know, sometimes working more becomes less. You know, there's there's this tipping point where putting more energy into something becomes counterproductive and it starts to have a negative effect on other parts of our lives. So some of this is just silencing the shoulds. You know, it's like, OK, there's that should. And I, you know, it that voice may never go away, per se, but I don't have to respond to it. You know, I can, you know, sort of override that a little bit with some of my own, like, you know, I've done enough today. I've done well today. When we're working with clients, like we want to see change, especially if they come in with bad habits or, um, and we want to kind of redirect that. So I guess the question is, how do we help our clients change? Well, that's a $50 million question for everybody. Um, I'm in, I'm in the change business and, and you're in the change business. And so I think, and, and what's ironic, Hannah, is that we are, we are completely wired for change in every way, shape, or form. But we, we and again, I'm generalizing, we resist change given the opportunity. And let me I'll give you an example here. It's a rather uh, radical or dramatic example. Uh, if, if you and I were <clears throat> having this conversation, we were in a room, we were having this conversation, let's say my office, and all of a sudden, in a corner, uh, a fire started, okay? Now, we had just gotten comfortable, and, you know, you were comfortable in your chair, I was comfortable in mine, we're having this conversation, and, you know, like, neither one of us really want to change anything, because we're comfortable, we're enjoying it, but the minute that fire starts, immediately, immediately, we both go into this if you will, survival mode, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to change 
to keep myself safe. And in a nanosecond, we'll figure out, you know, how do I either put out the fire or how do I get out of the room, <clears throat> excuse me, or how do I, you know, call the fire department, whatever it is. But, you know, if, if I, if, if we were in the room and you said to me, um, you know, Hey, would you mind getting up and walking around your chair twice? And I looked at you and I said, I, I'd probably say, well, why? And immediately I'm resisting change rather than just, you know, fulfilling a request. Now I know that's sort of a, a silly an example, but people, people like change, um, People, I'm sorry, people resist change because people like what's uh, comfortable, what's predictable, uh, what's familiar, and what's certain. Even if comfortable, familiar, predictable, and certain is unhealthy or even dysfunctional. And it's a weird, it's a weird paradox. So I find that I sometimes have to preface things with, letting people know that, hey, I'm going to have, I'm about ready to have a conversation with you about something that you may want to, you may push back on. Because most people, when I have this conversation, there's some resistance there. And I, first of all, want to get permission from you. Can we have this conversation? And people inevitably will say yes. And number two, if I'm feeling some pushback or resistance, can, can we stop the conversation and talk about the pushback or the resistance? Because, and then you put it on on the table. Look at, we know, we all know there are things we could change to improve the quality of our lives. Um, whatever it might be, whether it's, gee, I should go out and, and walk more. I should pray more. I should save more money. I should do more volunteer work. And here, you know, you can hear the shoulds already. Uh, but recognizing that, <clears throat> bringing it back to, you know, let's, ease through this and let's let me remind you that you know change is difficult and it's going to be uncomfortable and it's okay because we have to go through change to get to wherever we want to be it's that old analogy what was it people say um uh that that um definition of insanity repeating the same thing over and over again hoping for a different outcome um, and I, I say, you know, if you always do what you always done, you always get what you always got. Nothing changes, nothing changes. So, and it's easy for us to say, okay, I'll just change that. But we become, we're creatures of habit. We, we like our routines because they're, they're comfortable and they're predictable and they're familiar. Um, you know, how many people, uh, have you known that, you know, have, um, stayed in a, in a bad relationship or have, uh, practice a really unhealthy habit. You know, like it, it, let's just take smoking, for example. You ask anybody who smokes, hey, is smoking healthy or unhealthy? They're going to say unhealthy. Would it be better if you stopped smoking? They would say, yes, it'll be better if I stop smoking. Uh, you know, I'm going to say 100%. If not, well, there's a couple of people that have profound denial, but almost everybody. Well, why don't you stop smoking? Well, because it requires change. And they're comfortable with their lives the way it is. They don't know what it's going to be like without the smoking. Intellectually, they know what's got to be better. But again, here's where that emotional piece is. You know, it's unpredictable. It's unfamiliar. It's uncomfortable. It's There's an uncertain, uncertainty involved. So there's you know, people tend to have a resistance. So I think I, I go into conversations anticipating that and being able to have a conversation, a sidebar about, okay, this is difficult. I get, you know, and but let's just ease through this, you know, it's like, 
let's not jump into the, the lake. Let's just sort of put one foot in at a time so we can transition and acclimate into this change. You're saying not to have the expectation that clients are going to change overnight. Ah, <laughs> uh, gosh, yeah. You know, I, here's here's the thing. Some of them actually will, and so it's one of those things where you plan for the worst and you hope for the best, but you do a lot of planning. <laughs> so yeah, we just that's our our nature almost. You know, and, and it, it, part of it goes, I don't want to get into brain chemistry, but part of it goes back into our cave. We all have this caveman brain and it's, you know, fight or flight. And, and what activates it is anything that is a potential threat. And I use I emphasize the word potential. You know, it's like there's this radar system in our brain and a potential threat is anything that's different, new or unusual, even if it's good. I, I can tell you a lot of my clients feel the threat of the market falling. Well, of course. Right. And so is it just acknowledging those and talking through that? Or, I mean, how do you kind of handle that? Well, you know, so, you know, there's, there's something that, you know, you, everybody would love to have control over the market, wouldn't they? Part of it goes back to, you know, being able to offer some reassurance to people. Like, look, at things are going to go up and down. Things are, some things are going to work. Some things are not. That's, that's the reality of it. You know, if you said like, okay, I'm going to, this is going to be bulletproof. Nothing, everything's going to be great. Nothing's going to fail. Well, now you're lying. Um, but I think to forewarn them, look at this, there's going to be parts of this that are going to be uncomfortable. If you find yourself getting worried, you, you know, feel free to contact me. I'm, I'm, that doesn't mean if you hit the panic button, that doesn't mean that I'm going to panic. You know, part of my job is to help you through the panic so you're not overreacting because that's my understanding. That's what a lot of people do. That's you know, seems to be the, the the core breakdown is that people start to freak out about things and they overreact. And then one overreaction leads to another. And now they it's they're very quick and easy to, to create a, a crisis that way. Yeah, it's it's either the sky is falling or it's going to be clear sailing now that got a new president or a new Congress or a new law or a new anything. And the reality is, you know, that that's, and I think that's where, you know, we, in my world, we talk, talk, we refer to that as black and white thinking. And the reality is, is that there's all these different colors. It's not black and white. There's nothing, it's not all or this. It's, it's these varying degrees or shades, if you will. And, you know, it would be nice that, and that's, I think that's why, people sometimes cling to that is that we want the reassurance. We want the built in. And the reality is there isn't any. Congress, Senate, uh, president, the weather, I'm looking outside out my window here. I'm in St. Pete, Florida, and it's, it's a gorgeous, perfect. I don't see a cloud in the sky. I'm guessing that it's uh, 75 degrees out, a little bit of wind, and it's like, wow, that maybe this would be a great day to go sailing, okay? Uh, but I could drive a half an hour and get to the beach, and all of a sudden there could be clouds that show up. Well, okay, that's called life. It happens. Uh, I don't have control over that. I don't, like, you don't have control over the market. I don't have control over the weather. But we are both in a position that we can... Our clients are relying us on us for some reassurance and to, to tether them, to, to reel them in, to keep them grounded. And again, I think that's where some proactivity can be helpful, saying, look at, 
you know, we, we all hope for the best, but the reality is, and, and people know that, you know, things are going to go up and down and all around. And, you know, all we can do is, is the best information that we have and, and make the best plan that we can and make some adjustments. But when you're relying on me to give you some guidance. You know, it's when the, when the tail starts wagging the dog, we're in trouble. So as we wrap up, are there any other pieces of advice or things that you wish financial planners really knew or implemented um, to really improve their work with clients? My experience has been in the 60 years I've been around that um, things have gotten more and more stressful, little by little by little. And, and, I, and I think we do a disservice to our clients if we get caught up in their stress, stress their alarm, and their panic. Uh, they're coming to us to, for, for us to, you know, sort of be a little bit of a grounding post for them. So they don't overreact or underreact. And we're, we're trying to help them find somewhat of a middle path. It's not a perfect middle path. It's not a perfect balance, but it's, it's eliminating these knee jerk overreactions. And so being able to do that work on ourselves, like, okay, how do I eliminate, you know, going back to your should statement. Okay. What can I do? to just not react to some of my own shoulds as much. And as I react less to my own shoulds, I can be more grounded for my clients. So I guess, you know, I keep uh, at the risk of sounding like I'm um, over uh, emphasizing marry yourself first. I keep coming back to, we gotta, we gotta give to ourselves first. They tell us that every time we get on a plane, put on your oxygen mask first, then help the other person. Because if you pass out and you die, you can't help anybody. Before we go, I'd like to congratulate all of you who recently passed the CFP exam. It's such a huge accomplishment, and as I said before, the profession needs you. If this is you, send me an email at hannah at guidingwealth.com because we have a small gift to help you celebrate this milestone in your career. And if you didn't pass, keep going. You have so much to offer this profession, and we're cheering you on. Thanks for listening.